When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. Kay Murray, Shaka Hislop and Stevie Nicol here in the studio. Continuing with the talk on the fallout from Manchester United's loss in Copenhagen. In the Champions League, there's been a lot said about this in the press, as you can imagine. After taking a two-goal lead, things didn't go their way. You all know what happened. Here's what Eric Ten Hag had to say afterwards. It's clear how we are very disappointed. And... Because you play very good, I think um, we started the game so well. Well, best uh, minutes of this season, uh, we are winning the game, and I think the red card changes everything. Football is a game of mistakes. I will not say that we did everything right, but I take a lot of positives. Uh, even with ten men, ten men, we were dictating the game, uh, and. We played very good. The squad is resilient. And the whole, the whole season, eh, so many decisions are against us. Eh, so many setbacks for, for injuries. And every time there's a spirit and there's a vibe. And we will keep going because I'm sure that I, I said the let's just, it will turn. It will, on one moment in the season, it will turn in our favour. Well, we also have Stuart Robson and Mark Ogden joining us. Obviously, we wheeled Craig Burley out yesterday after a Manchester United loss. We've had to do the same with Mark Ogden the day afterwards. But you were actually there, Mark. How bad was it? How bad is it? How bad was it? I can't think of a crazy game that I've ever been to. I've been to a few, but that, that last night was just, you know, after 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you're thinking, this is United, turn the corner, best performance of the season. They're going to win this 3 or 4, 5 nil, And then Rashford gets sent off and it all... You know, the bottom falls out of it. And from that point on, you know, they, as I said in my copy, they, actually, they won the game twice and still lost. And that's Man United this season because the way that they capitulated after going 3-2 ahead with the penalty, they should have cl closed the game down. They should have shut up shop. Even though they were down to 10 men, they should have done better. And it was just, it was chaotic. And, it, you know, Diogo Dallo, Rafael Varane, Wan-Bissaka, defensively, they're just not good enough. I mean, Varane's got a great pedigree. He's got great, you know, Champions League winner, but... They're not good enough. And I think the problem United right now is that no matter how many times they score, the defenders just aren't up to the job. And that is why they keep conceding the goals. You know, Rasmus Hoyland is the joint top scorer in the Champions League this season. And he's lost every game he's scored in. So that shows you where the problems are. It's, it's at the back. And it's a vicious circle, really, because Ten Hag isn't getting the best out of these players. He really isn't. You know, nine defeats already this season. He's not doing something right. But with those defenders, he can never get it right. And then January comes, he can't rebuild a full defence in January. So it's a real mess because I don't see a way out of this until the end of the season when they could have a root and branch change and bring players in and get players out. But right now, he hasn't got the defenders to defend. And when that's but the Mark, case... This, you know, yeah, this is more on the players then than on the coach? Well, I think, yes, I think it is more on the players because I think at least Ten Hag changed things against Copenhagen. He, you know, he went with two wingers in a traditional sense. He had Rashford on the right, Ganacho on the left. He, he tried to move things around a bit. But the players, they're not good enough. The defenders certainly aren't good enough. And 
he needs to change that, but he can't change it till January. And realistically, he's not going to bring in four or five new defenders, so he's stuck with what he's got. And I don't think even Pep Guardiola could get that defence playing well. Would you agree with that, Stuart? To a certain degree, yes. Uh, the defenders didn't defend particularly well, but it's not just about, you know, you're talking about defending as a team. You know, the midfield players, and that's one of the problems that Manchester United have got, that their midfield players aren't good defenders either. I know Ericsson was taken off at half-time, but he's a player that can't get around the pitch anymore. He can't defend. I've never thought that Bruno Fernandes, wherever he's playing on the right, whether he's playing as a central midfield player, whether he's playing in behind the front two, he doesn't do his job defensively well enough. Garnacho doesn't do his job well enough. He'll run around, but he doesn't understand the defensive side of the game at the moment. And I would say the same with, with Dallo playing at left back. He got his body position wrong on a couple of occasions. Wan-Bissaka made the bad pass that, that Anana had to deal with, which eventually ended up with, with uh, being the, the equaliser. So there's lots of things wrong with Manchester United when they haven't got the ball. Yes, Hoyland looked a threat when he was going forward, and will do because he's got a bit of pace. He's decent on the ball. He can hold up the play. So he's a very good player. But defensively, all over the field, Manchester United aren't good enough. And it's not, just not the back four and the goalkeeper at the moment. Just to go back to what Ten Hag's had to say there, it's just interesting to see what he picked out, saying they're disappointed because we played good, also saying that the squad's resilient and that there is spirit and there is fight there. Is that something you see? Was it nine defeats in 16 or 17? Where's that, where's that fine spirit? But what about when we see these, this, these late turnarounds for them, when we have seen them come late? Does that mean they are still fighting for this coach? No, because they got... He's talking about it happening to Danny Locke. I mean, the penalty they got doesn't get any luckier than that. And, it, and, and coincidentally, when he's talking about the goals they lost, you know, he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't mention that the, the opposition were in the same boat. They lost the penalty for exactly the same decision. But he doesn't, conveniently doesn't mention that. So, listen, it's almost regardless of how many, how many breaks they do get, they really, they really contribute to their own downfall. You know, they never lost four goals because Copenhagen, who had a man up, cut them apart, sliced them open with great incisive passing and moving. There was nothing like that. All they did was throw balls in the box and scored four goals, pretty much. I mean, and you want to turn around and start talking about fight and spirit. I mean, come on, how about organisation? First and foremost, you're down a man, so what do you do? You, you, you go 4-4-1 four, four, and you don't let anybody through. And particularly when you go 3-2 up, you make, you make yourself as rock solid as you possibly can. Not, not be wide open, Ganacho's still standing on the left wing at times. So... He can, he can talk about things going against him. Has there been things going against him? There have been. But as I said, you talk about contributing to your own downfall. I mean, look at the number of red jerseys that are in there. I mean, it's, it's incredible. They just, they can't defend. For, 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 for me, um, there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack in, in, in this game, in what Ten Hag said, in, in Manchester United's own capitulation. First of all, let, let me just say, as far as VAR and decisions go, apparently VAR is against everybody in world football. Nobody is benefiting from VAR decisions. <laughs> I, I don't know how, how that works. Everybody's complaining is benefiting no one. So let, let's just leave that, leave that to the side. Manchester United, and I think show that, and, and this has been a lot of senior complaints about this, this vision of Manchester United. 
I, I don't think this team can roll their sleeves up and really grind out a result. I don't think this team is capable of scrapping for a point, scrapping to, 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 see, to see a game out. And as, as the guys were discussing yesterday, there's also an air of arrogance around this team that is not justified. No, I don't think it's, it simply is not, is not justified. And as much as you're down to 10 men, you do, you do give up two late goals, okay, maybe you don't get to readjust, but then halftime comes, you make that readjustment, you go up, you have to be able to, to roll your sleeves up, get a little bit dirty, and, and grind, grind that result out. And in talking about, well, yes, but we're down to 10 men, I, I can't help but think of Liverpool going too dumb at Spurs and come within minutes of, of getting, getting a draw. That's because they roll their sleeves up. They're prepared to work, to, to, to be ugly, to, to win that point. Against a Spurs team that are far better than Copenhagen. Let, let's be honest about here. And you are man, Liverpool, an extra man down. So you, if you do want to put yourself in that bracket with the top four in European football and, and a top four in English football, and I say that knowing full well that Manchester United finished top four and Liverpool didn't last season. You, you've got to be able to, to, to see this out. And, and quite simply, they didn't. And to start pointing fingers for me, I, I think, yes, you could look at the opening 20 minutes or half an hour as, as how good it, it was. But it, it, to achieve anything, you've got to be able to do both, sometimes in the same game. Yeah. I said it earlier, organisation, right? You don't need to have the greatest players in the world to defend properly with organisation. You don't. There's worse players than, than the names on the back of those Man United jerseys that, that have defended and showed real spirit. I mean, talk, he's talking about spirit. Did anybody put their body on the line for the fourth goal? I mean, Dallow's, Dallow's making himself smaller rather than bigger. So, organisation, number one, 100% is down to one person, the manager. So speaking of the manager then, Robbo, is there any way for Eric Ten Hag to turn this around? Uh, I think he's going to struggle at the moment. Uh, you look at the, the way they're playing, the, you know, and I go back to the defensive qualities that, or lack of defensive qualities that they've got. They haven't got enough energy in midfield. And we talked about not defending the box there when balls came into the box. No one was actually getting out to stop the cross coming in in the first place. That last one, the bloke had, I don't know, 10 yards of space. Bruno Fernandes doesn't get out there. He can just cross the ball in. And then you've got problems trying to defend it. Eric Ten Hag has got a problem defensively with the team. There's no question about that. How you turn that around is by working hard on the training field, getting your organisation, as Stevie's just said, making sure you defend with determination. I'm not sure that Manchester United players have got it in them or Eric Ten Hag is organising the team well enough to get results. It's a massive problem for him at the moment. I'm not sure he can turn it around. So obviously there's a lot of talk about who could be the next Manchester United manager if Eric Ten Hag is to get his marching orders. The odds look like this. It's Zinedine Zidane at the top of the list. Can you cast your eyes down to the bottom there? Because there's so much on oh. Steve Nickel now. <laughs> Thanks to our Steve colleague, Dan Thomas. 500 to 1. This is a fact. Save your money. So anyway, Zinedine Zidane at the top of that list. I suppose there are two questions here, Mark, in who could and who would. But who would you actually like to see United go for? 
Well, first of all, I think with Stevie, let's be honest, the, the Glazers like to do things on the cheap, and I don't think he could buy a Meta Bazaar game contract. So we can forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the, the problem that United have got right now, I mean, one of the many problems they've got is that there isn't an obvious candidate that's waiting for a job. I mean, there's nobody out there right now that you think there's no there's no Thomas Tuchel available or Pochettino. They've got jobs. So they have to be imaginative. And the Glazers and Richard Arnold haven't got the imagination to find a coach. So I suppose we're waiting there for the new the new regime of, of Jim Radcliffe whenever that happens, a 25% stake and then taking over the football side of it, whenever they come in to, to make a decision. But there's nobody right now you can say, yeah, you know, he, he's got potential. I mean, the one the one coach in Europe that right now is a rising star that has got potential is Xabi Alonso, but he's not going to go to Man United. I mean, he's the next Liverpool player. He's Liverpool great. There's no way he's going to Man United. So they've got a problem. But, you know, they're going to stick with Ten Hag for the foreseeable future because they've got other issues to address, as we know, with the takeover and all that kind of carry-on. So... He's there. He has to sort the defence out. And I, I agree with what Robbo said before about the whole nature of the team. That The team is too slow, it's too mobile, doesn't defend as a team. But I do think that the, the game seems to have lost the art now of, defensive, of defenders defending. You know, we go back to the old Arsenal team with the, the Arsenal back four and, and George Graham and these type of managers where they got the defence, the back four sorted out. And then from that platform, you can build the team that defends. Nobody seems to do that anymore. Everyone seems to want to attack. And that, and it seems to have created defenders who can't do the, the basics. And that's what United have got. They've got a lot of defenders who can't do the basics. But Ten Hag is the manager that's paid to do the job of organising them. So he has to find a way. But And maybe that's what's keeping him a job as well. The fact that there isn't anybody obviously out there that will take the job. Roberto De Zerbi, would he leave Brighton to go to Man United right now without knowing who his boss is, who the next boss might be? I just don't see it appealing to any top managers. So you say he's sticking around for the foreseeable future and that's what it looks like, Mark. But if it's losses to Luton and then Everton, is that still the case? Well, he's safe until he's not, not safe, isn't he? I mean, yeah, I mean, if you lose at home to Luton and then go to Everton and don't win, I think it becomes inevitable that they have to make a change. But who is out there to take it on? I mean, that is the problem that what they've done in the past, they've gone for the easy option and only going to Solskjaer figure that he's so desperate to work for the club again that he will go back. But even then, there aren't many ex-United players out of work right now that want a job. You know, Wayne Rooney's got a job, Michael Carrick's got a job. And that's the sort of character that they'll be looking at because they've got recent history with the club. So it's a really kind of worrying situation for United because there's nobody available and the, the so-called former players that they would normally go down that route, that again, you know, they're in jobs or that, you know, they're not available. So... I mean, Solskjaer's still available, so, you know, he might come back, but, you know, that's a bit of a backward step, isn't it? Maybe Stevie's the right guy, actually. Maybe that's Stevie what I mean. is the I answer. mean, process of elimination at this point, isn't it? So if it were Stevie Nicol, Robbo, would you like to be his assistant and play bad cop? I'll tell you what, Robbo and I I couldn't work with Stevie Nicol. I mean, it'd just, it'd just be a mess, wouldn't it? Me and him in charge. Good gracious. <laughs> uh, I've seen Stevie Rick. What a mess it already is. I, uh, I've seen Stevie Rick leaves. Give him Stevie's... Leaf raking abilities. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure I'd, I'd put a wage on him man, managing Manchester United oh, either. He'd get morale up there, though, wouldn't he? Oh, good. I'm, I'm not so sure, okay. All right, Robbo. Who would you like to see in this role? Who do you think would be a good fit if they were able to get them? Oh. I mean, unfortunately, two years ago, I'd have said Antonio Conte because he was as. He was guaranteed almost to win things and uh, he was playing some good football. But the last couple of jobs he's had, he's, he's gone ultra-defensive, so he's not the man. Uh, I still think that Nagelsmann could be a, a top-class manager. Uh, we, it depends how he does with Germany, obviously, but he's a manager that I think has got a, a lot of ability uh, and an up-and-coming manager because that's really what you would like. Uh, and I would, I would agree with Mark. If Xavi Alonso, he's the, he's the man that everybody's talking about at the moment, if he was available... 
he'd be the excellent uh, choice, but he's not available. Um, yeah, well, actually, Dan Thomas did put out a Twitter poll today as well. He's been pretty busy with this whole topic, Dan. <laughs> he, he well, asked, he asked um, would you like to see Steve Nicholl as the next United <laughs> manager? <laughs> the two options were yes and yes. It was a unanimous decision. 100% of people would like to see this, Stevie. So the people have spoken. Oh, well, I guess I can make a couple of phone calls with <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there you go. You heard it from the man himself, Mark. Yeah. You need to put that uh, news out there in Manchester while you can. Stevie Nicholl is the next <laughs> Manchester United manager. Love Just that. Man for the job. <laughs> All right, that will do it for everything from Mark. Thanks so much for uh, being with us, Mark Ogden, for this one. Make sure to get geez. that rumour on the go in Manchester, and make sure to be with us every single day for more shenanigans on ESPN FC. We are available daily. Stuart Robson was on the call in the San Siro for Milan, taking on PSG on Tuesday. It was a big night for Milan and a big win for them. But I want to focus on the PSG angle here, Robbo. What stood mm. out to you from the French side? Uh, well, the first 20 minutes, I thought they were going to tear Milan apart. Uh, Mbappe had a couple of runs. He missed a chance as well. And Dembele was the Dembele we knew from Barcelona. The first 20 minutes, he was outstanding. They were playing with too much pace, really, for Milan. Uh, the centre forward, Moani, was trying to make runs in behind. They looked a, they looked a good side. But when uh, Milan got back into it uh, and they found a way of stopping Mbappe, they created a 2v1 against him and he started playing square and backwards. I was really disappointed with PSG. I was disappointed with the manager as well because Milan went 2-1 up at the start of the second half and then defended much deeper. He made four substitutions fairly quickly in the second half and they had absolutely no effect on the game whatsoever. The players he brought on, mainly in midfield, had no effect on the game. They couldn't find a way through. They could. Uh, Milan defended well against Mbappe. They defended well against uh, Dembele. And he just didn't change the tactics. He changed the personnel, but... I was very, very disappointed with the, with the way PSG, in the end, sort of just couldn't create chances against the Milan side that have been in bad form of late. Yes, Stuart, we knew this was going to be a tricky group for all of these teams involved, and mm. all four of them can still qualify at this stage. This is how things are looking right now, how the table stands and the games that still remain. Who are the two teams that you think are going to progress? Well, you and I were watching Dortmund versus Bayern Munich at the weekend, and you <laughs> thought they've got no chance of getting through this group because they haven't been, you know, they played so poorly in that game. But they've had two good wins against Newcastle, which uh, they played well in, in both of them in, in two totally different ways. So I think that uh, PSG will get through. And I've got to say, I think Dortmund might get through as well. Newcastle are out of it. I think uh, as much as I'd like to see Newcastle get through, and I'm sure Shaka would have done, I think they're going to fail to qualify. So it's going to be Dortmund and PSG for me. Shaka just decided that Newcastle are going through from this group anyway. I did, yeah. Yeah, but so, Stevie... What's your hole? <laughs> no. <or> who else? <laughs> I mean, it's still there, for the, but they're probably going to need a little bit of help around them. But, Stevie, who do you think is going to get out of it? I'm going to go with Robbo, PSG and Dortmund. Yeah, Newcastle, I don't see Newcastle getting themselves out of it. And I don't think you can trust AC Milan. Yes, they did well against PSG, but, I mean, that's, that's a good performance in, what, six or... The last six or seven where they've been, well, very questionable, shall we say. Well, yeah, there is more talk about this group and Manchester United on the latest Gab and Jewel show. Make sure to go and check that out on your podcast feed. The latest one has dropped and you'll be able to get more information on everything that's going on in that group there. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC, terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Okay, on Newcastle's goal against Arsenal, this is according to the independent key match incidents panel. It says, although Joel Linton does have his hands on Gabriel, there isn't enough to award a foul as Gabriel had made an action to play the ball before any contact. So it was a four to one vote in the findings here. So obviously saying there's not enough to award. And we're seeing once again, these informations coming. Why are you pulling this face well, to what's me? What a lot of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? He made an action before he got the hands on his back. Let me tell you something. As soon as you leave your feet as a defender and somebody shoves you, you're done. You're at the game. So what they're putting out is complete and utter nonsense. But why are they putting this out? I've no, I've no idea. It makes no sense what, absolutely no sense whatsoever. As a defender, when you leave your feet and somebody puts their hands on you, you're done. Your balance is gone. You're no longer in charge. As you saw with Gabriel, the way he went down, because he gets shoved in the back. So the actual statement is, I mean, can you believe that people, there's probably been half a dozen people read that statement and not one of them picked up on that. Doesn't that seem a little strange to you? Robbo. Uh, well, I would slightly disagree with Stevie because I looked at it over and over and over again. And at first I thought, yeah, it's a shove in the back and it should be uh, a free kick. And then I saw Gabriel actually jump forward before he gets touched on the back. It was a strange bit of defending by Gabriel. He should have actually headed it. But there was two arms in the back. So I can understand why Stevie thinks it should have been a free kick. And many people do. And Arteta thought it should have been a free kick. It's touch and go for me, but uh, I can see both sides of the story. Um, but as I don't like Arsenal particularly, I thought it was a great goal and uh, Jelens deserved every right to win the ball in over the top of him. Well, I'm in your corner as far as that's concerned, to be honest. But at the same time, I think, I, th I think when anybody says, yes, he's got two hands on his back, come on, that's a red flag. That's got to be a red flag straight off the bat, isn't it? Every single person, including this committee, said he had two hands on his back. So... Which part of that is not a foul then? It is interesting that obviously we're talking about it again because of this independent panel having to review mm. these decisions. Do you think it's a little bit too much, Shaka, or is it 
important in terms of transparency? I, I think, I think um, it's, it's important in terms of transparency, or can be important in terms of transparency, if I, I think the explanations make a little bit more sense. I, I, I'm with Stevie in that I don't really understand the explanation. And even me, and I unashamedly say I'm, I'm biased here, I thought that was a fault. I, I, I thought, had it been the other way around, had it been Gabriel in the back of Joe Linton, I, I would be the first to, to, to be up saying that that, that was a penalty. Um, say, saying that, I, I think the other part to this, they, they get absolutely right. I don't think the ball was, was over the line um, before Willock retrieved it. Yes, it was close, but the whole entire ball was not over the line. Um, and given the lack of, of um, the new technology and, and how, how uh, the semi-automated offside technology and, and the league's decision not to use it, you cannot, you cannot just decide it's an offside without knowing absolutely shit. And you have to go with the, with the ruling on the field. So the league, the league kind of uh, made their decision as to how they want to go with that. And you have to stand by that. But finally, I, 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 thought, I thought Gabriel was fouled. I thought that was, was the big question mark around it, um, around, around the goal anyway. Um, but again, like, like, as, as I said before, apparently VAR is against everybody. Yeah. And nobody is, is, is getting the, the, the best of it here. There were a few more um, panel decisions as well. The panel were unanimous that Kai Havertz should have been sent off in the 36th minute for his challenge on Sean Lang's, uh, Longstaff. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes, the arm to the back of the head of Jorginho, missed by the referee. VAR didn't intervene. That was a missed red card, but on a split 3-2 decision for VAR to get involved. It's mistakes brought back to the attention. Do you agree with these panel's decisions on these moments? On, on those two, yeah, yeah, they, they should have resulted in both of them having to leave the field, yeah. I, 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 agree, and I agree that they were both red cards, yeah. but I'm actually a bit surprised that the vote wasn't kind of reversed. I, 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 thought, I, I thought the uh, Bruno Guimaraes uh, elbow to the back of Jorginho's head, I thought that, that was, if you told me that was the one that was unanimous and 5-0, and then the, the uh, Kai Havertz was 3-2, I would understand that. I, I, thought, I thought the uh, Bruno Guimaraes incident was far more clear. I was a little bit on the fence with, with the, the Kai Havertz with the first challenge. He then had a lunge later on that, without question, was a second yellow. Um, but they aren't being asked to, to, to judge yellow cards here. It's just the, 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 one, the one foul. So no question Kai Havertz should have seen red at some point, if not for that challenge, certainly a few minutes later. And, and for me, I, I think Bruno Guimaraes, yeah, that, that was pretty clear in my opinion. Uh, Robbo, what's your stance on these ones? Uh, Kai Havertz should have been sent off. It, he jumped off the ground. His studs were showing. It could have caused big, uh, a big injury to the player. Longstaff, who he went into, it was the training leg that actually caught him. But there was intent there. I thought it was a poor challenge. And I thought he should have been sent off. Bruno Guimaraes, the first one, uh, it's petty. It's stupid. Uh, he could easily have got a red card for it. I would have only given him a yellow for that. But then he did something later on that would have probably got him a second red or second yellow and got him a red card. So he got away with it uh, over the course of the game. He should have been sent off. So, uh, so should Havertz. Sean Mikel Arteta's had a lovely time seeing his findings <laughs> from the panel. Anyway, make sure to go and check out our YouTube channel. There's a lot more talk on all these issues and many more from the Premier League and beyond. Every single day, new content updated daily. Check it out over there. 
passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Liverpool suffered their first loss in the Europa League to Toulouse, but they do remain in a strong position to qualify as Group E winners. It was a missed chance to wrap up top spot, though, after that game. What were your thoughts on it, Robbo? Well, Liverpool uh, obviously weren't at full strength and didn't play at their very best, and they conceded some some cheap goals. But just interested to hear what Shaka said there when he when he mentioned Salah uh, pushed him in the back, but it wasn't enough uh, for the uh, for the goal to be disallowed. But he said that Joel Linton had two arms on the back of Gabriel, and that was. So what makes the, what's the difference between one push and another? Yeah, S- uh, Salah had a little finger on his back. It wasn't all that. Come on, Robbo, it's not the same. No, but that, no. I just thought I'd bring it up. Just thought no, I'd bring no, it up as yeah. you contradicted yourself so poorly there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a poor result for Liverpool. But but Liverpool will will get through. They'll be a, they're they're a, they're a good side at the moment. They'll get through, and I think they could go all the way in the Europa League. Now, Stevie, this was actually a loss because you kept getting confused the other day I with that know. draw at Luton. You I felt like annoyed. a loss to you. I was still annoyed. But let's talk about it. It's a draw there at Luton, and now there's a loss here today in the Europa League. Any concerns? No. Why? It was a reserve team. Liverpool reserve team. And, and, and the Europa League right now is about getting everybody time on the field who doesn't normally get time on the field. You know, from the first game to, to this one, that's what Klopp has done. And, and it's, you know, we all, we all complain about the amount of games, but the truth is, for teams like Liverpool... With a, a big squad, uh, it's great for Klopp to be able to get people on the field. And yes, when you lose a game, everybody's going to ask questions. But the, but the truth of the matter is, they play Lask at home in the next game. I mean, really? Are we, do we think they're not going to win that game? And even if they don't, they've still got another opportunity playing, playing Union. So, you want to win games, yes, but... There are certain ways to lose, and if you lose by playing your reserve team, then that's fine by me. What about Costa Simicas in this game? Well, I think that would be a worry for, for, for Klopp, because Robertson being injured, you know, I'm sure Simicas, since he came to the club, has been trying to oust Robertson and never really got a run of games to prove it. And, of course, when Robertson gets injured, all of a sudden, it's on Simicas now. OK, there you go. Shows what you got. And actually, from... 
from the very first game to this one here, he, he has not responded in the right manner. He got substituted the very first game at Anfield because he was poor. Uh, and he cost Liverpool the first goal in this game. Poor play again. So, yeah, I think, I think for Klopp, who right now is trying to sort out that back four, it's not quite the back four of old. Uh, and without Robertson and having to play Simicus and him performing the way he is, then yeah, that would be a worry. Does he does he stick with Simicus or does he does he try and do? I don't know. Does he sw switch Gomez over there? I mean, what does he do? So that that would be my only concern. Uh, what concerns for you would you have, Robbo, if you were Klopp? He said they weren't aggressive enough tonight. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's part of Liverpool's play. When they're at their very best, they're aggressive in terms of their closing down. They're aggressive in the tackle. They play on the verge of the referee, which they do very well, particularly at home. Um, but there were one or two uh, mistakes. They didn't close the ball down well enough. They uh, conceded too many chances. But as Stevie said, it's a, a semi-reserve team. So you don't expect them to have the fluidity, the understanding of what's actually uh, wanted by the manager. So it, was a, it wasn't a great performance, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah, Stevie's not too worried about it, so no. that can be <laughs> a barometer for that. Let's talk about Roberto Firmino then, because he shed some light on the relationship, or lack thereof, between Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah during the trio's time at Liverpool. This is from his book, Si Senor, My Liverpool Years. He said, I saw firsthand the looks, the grimaces, the body language, the dissatisfaction when one was mad at the other. I could feel it. I was the link between them in our attacking play and the firefighter in those moments. They were never best friends each kept himself to himself. It was rare to see the two of them talking, but they never severed ties. They always acted with the utmost professionalism. Obviously, Stevie, you've been talking recently about how times have changed, that when there were situations like this, maybe you could have gone down to the pub, had a few mm -hmm. drinks, resolved these matters. Yep. That's not going to happen in this day and age. It's a modern era with the footballers. But seeing things like this, is this something that shouldn't be considered too worrisome given that this happens with footballers well let me put it a different way this is not the first time this has ever been a situation at a football club and it will not be the last time regardless of how big or how small the club is you know there, there are always people in every team again regardless of size or how or, or or how good they are where they don't get on and they have they have little problems with each other but as Firmino says, ultimately, they were also professional and they didn't let it affect them on the field. Yes, they might have had a little moan here and there and, and come off and throw in a bottle or something, but ultimately what they did on the field was for the good of the team. Uh, and I can tell you that in the 80s, we had a similar situation at Liverpool where there was a couple of players that didn't quite see eye to eye, didn't do all the things that Firmino's talking about but ultimately played for the team and, and the interest of the team and not themselves. So, didn't do us any harm in the 80s. So, it's, it's, not, it's not new, it's not the first time, and at 100% it won't be the last time. So it happens a lot, Shaka. Because obviously there's situations where maybe even one of your goalkeeping partners doesn't speak to you at all, but you don't have to play with him uh -huh. on the pitch, do you? Yeah, that, that, that was great when, when that happened. I couldn't stop laughing. Listen, in, in, in truth, as, as TV says, this probably happens a lot more than most people, most people recognise because I, all people really uh, pay attention to his results and performances. Andy Cole and, and Teddy Sheringham quite famously had an awful relationship. But as long as Manchester United were winning... 
That did not matter. And truth of the matter is you're in a dressing room with 25 other people from who knows where, four different corners of the earth, and, and you don't get along well with, with all 25. But as long as, as you, you're all pulling in the same direction, you all have the team's best interests at heart, you make it work. And, and this is in keeping with that. But saying that, while that happens, I, I think you also have to recognize the value of people like Roberto Firmino, who recognizes that this is happening between two players. Oftentimes, it's not two players as, as close together on the field as, as uh, Mane and, and, and Salah, um, but it happens quite a lot. And then you have these individuals who are able somehow to bridge that gap. And which is why when we always, we always talk about football teams and successful teams, it's not necessarily the best 11. It's what works and, and how you put that team together. And players, as good a footballer as Roberto Firmino is, that quality of, of being that bridge between those two, I, I would argue, is as important or probably even more than just his ability with the ball at his feet. If I were to say Stuart Robson and, and then left a blank space, who would have been... You're right, Genesis, Stuart. Uh, well, unfortunately, I oh, played for two clubs. How big is this blank space, uh, by the way? Uh, <laughs> Arsenal and West Ham. At that time, and I, I went to see the, one of the coaches at, uh, uh, the other day, uh, John Cartwright, who was 80-something or other, and uh, he was speaking to me about when he first came to Arsenal in, the I think, 84, that he'd get on the team bus and half the team wouldn't be talking to each other. There was clicks all over the place. And it didn't work for Arsenal because we didn't, some of the players didn't like each other. There was problems on the field. There was problems off the field. Two players had a fight nearly every training session. Um, Kenny Sanson and Alan Sunderland. Uh, and there wasn't a harmonious group. Nobody really trusted the captain, who was as David O'Leary at the time. I then went to West Ham and the very first game, well, the second game I played, uh, the, the, the captain and the centre-half at the time, England player, told me to not take any notice of the manager, do what he said and play right in front of him so his pace wouldn't be exposed. And we, we hardly spoke to each other for the next four years or three years. So there's lots of things <laughs> that go on. Sometimes it can work in your favour and you can, you can all get on professionally. Other times the, the cliques and the, and the players not getting on affects the team. And that happened at oh. both Arsenal and West Ham with me. You're obviously just hearing this from Firmino as well shows us, and he's saying himself he was the firefighter, just the importance that he played on the pitch and then off it in a matter like this. Who was that Firmino back in your day that was the firefighter keeping everybody on the straight and narrow? No, we didn't really have one. We didn't really have one. The, the, the situation, as I said, was dealt with by the players themselves being professional and doing the right thing when it mattered most, as opposed to somebody being the go-between. Um, no, no. There's not. There's not always the sh the 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 knight in shining armour, shall we say? Was there a was there a glue that kept the squad together in your one of your former teams? Um, yeah, I'm, I I don't remember playing in a in, in a team where you had this kind of a disconnect or, or this this major and, and certainly this visible a, a disconnect be, between two players. Um, but we everywhere I've been, there, there's been a, a kind of unity about 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 the team, about who we were, and to, to Stevie's point, going out together, whether it's for drinks or a meal. Um, and so you never really had, again, even though you had some players who got on better with others, there was never as, as major disconnect as, as, as this, or as, as some, some of the that uh, Stewie and, and Steve have been speaking about. Stuart, anybody that stood out for you that was the, the peacemaker? Yes, uh, when I first started playing for Arsenal, 
there was a great character. Uh, he's now no longer with us. John Hollins, who was the loveliest guy uh, you'd ever wish to meet, the funniest guy. And he was the one that brought everybody together. Everybody liked him. Uh, unfortunately, not everybody else liked each other. But he was the one player that when you were in his company, everybody got on and uh, he, was the, he was the joker of the team. All right, time for Shaka's Power oh. Rankings. Spoiler alert, Leverkusen at all. Yeah, I didn't mean to ruin it for you, but Leverkusen just stay right where they are. They, they really have been outstanding. Oh. Um, little change. Real Madrid, they keep winning. They're there. Spurs are out after losing. City bump up as a result. Inter top in Italy, going so well in the Champions League. Girona, the surprise package. I'm, I'm, I'm just giving them bonus points just because they're such a surprise package. Atletico Madrid are in. Nice still top in Liga, but well, they drop one primarily because every, everybody else doing so well in Europe. Juventus up to two. Sporting are in. Um, top in Portugal. PSV who are just running away with things in the Eredivisie. A poor Eredivisie by usual standards and pointed at Ajax primarily. They're in at 10. What have Juventus done? They are second in Syria. They've won what? Six in a row? Yeah, they keep getting the job done. Maybe, maybe not so beautiful. Maybe not beautiful, but they're doing second. Or be just, but they are not. They're on a good run, Stevie. I'm what telling about, you. How about Europe? How are they doing in that? Uh, I, no, they're <laughs> not, not, doing, not doing anything. That. Any other issues, Stevie? Exactly. Giro, but their team's in there, not in Europe. Yeah, no. Girona. No, actually, Top of La Liga. You know what came to my head? Is when I saw Atletico Madrid, the first thing that came to my head was Simeone gets a new contract for being third again. It's because he's in the power How's that? Is it you, so it's your fault? Yes. It's your fault Simeone's got a new deal. Um, listen, That's... Ali Moreno has been bigging him up on ESPN FC editions oh, as well. Oh, they're going to be third Reluctantly, again. Reluctantly, but he has third been. Again. And they'll have a decent run in Champions League and, and then they'll fail. Oh, why, why Such so, a hater. Why so angry with Simeone all of a sudden? Changing how they play and Fold. you're still not happy. Fold. Why so angry I remember when Wenger used to get hammered because all he talked about was the top four. People couldn't wait to get rid of him. But this guy comes third every year and, then, and he gets a new deal. Where were oh. they before Simeone got there? That is some manager-on-manager hey. manager well, violence there, Stevie. Are you just... Chaka. Be right. yourself, Stephen. Am I, I, I'm, am I wrong? Are they going to be third again? Possib Thank you. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> there you go. Possibly. There you go. Stuart, Chaka's power rankings, yes or no tonight? Absolutely, yes. Uh, I, uh, listen, I know how much effort he puts into that, how much time he spends <laughs> looking up all the, all the results, how much time he looks up at all the stats. So I would never argue with Shaka. But that two hours he spends every night looking at this, I think he deserves to get it absolutely right. And I think he has on this occasion. It's an algorithm. Look can't argue that. with science, Kay. I keep every week I tell you, Kay. Mm. Can't argue with science. Okay. Well, these guys will all be back on the next edition of Extra Time. You'll be able to catch it over on our YouTube channel. There's some nice questions as well on the latest edition, so be sure <laughs> to catch that every day over there. Uh. Saturday brings with it this season's NWSL final between OL Reign and Gotham FC as Megan Rapino and Ali Krieger will both play their final game against each other. And today's FC brings with it the news that NWSL is coming to ESPN next season. Sebastian Salazar is in Santiago ahead of the final on Saturday and he's looking very excited with this news. Talk to us, Sebi. Yeah, you know me, Kay. Big NWSL guy here, very much over the moon. 
One of my first, you know, big opportunities in this profession was being the first play-by-play -play voice of the Houston Dash back in 2014. I've loved covering this league, love watching it grow, love watching all the players it's put forth to the national team, not just the U.S. women, but uh, many of the other women's national teams across the globe as well. And people are always talking about the growth of women's soccer, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to money and the reported value on this TV deal across the four broadcast partners is about $60 million a year. The last TV deal that NWSL had was between one and $2 million a year that they were getting. So that's 40 times more. And I think that's gonna go a long way in continuing to grow the quality of this league. So obviously from an ESPN standpoint, Kay, I'm super excited, but for the league, it's also a, a major coup. Oh, so you are in San Diego ahead of Saturday's final. Talk to us a little bit about the atmosphere, the talk in the buildup, what we should be looking mm. out for. Well, I think here in San Diego, Kay, there's a little bit of disappointment because San Diego Wave, the home team, they, you know, claimed the supporter shield during the regular season as the best team. And a lot of folks thought, all right, they're going to get a chance to be in the final uh, here at home at Snapdragon Stadium. It didn't work out that way because they lost in the semifinals to OL Reign. And of course, Gotham FC arrives here as well as a little bit of an underdog. But the big storyline is the farewell tour that this postseason in the NWSL has turned into, not just for Megan Rapino, who will be playing her final professional game on Saturday, but also for Ali Krieger, another two-time World Cup champion that will be playing her final game on Saturday in this NWSL championship. And actually, just a few minutes ago, I had the chance to speak to Megan Rapino as she gets ready to play for one last time. Let's listen in. I'm excited. Um, it's everybody's last game this year, so I feel like a little bit of the focus is off me. Just excited to be in the championship and try to get this uh, elusive chip. A lot of, you know, headline ink has been spilled over you and Allie Krieger kind of potentially going out together. What does that mean to you? Oh, man. I mean, this is going to be something we'll be, you know, talking about with, I don't know if I'm going to have kids, but her kids at least for a long time and over vacations and uh, many bottles of wine for years to come. So I think for us personally, it's just so special. Obviously, it's a fun storyline for everyone else. But um, for us, I think it's actually like just super meaningful and both looking, looking forward to going at it. You mentioned chasing the chip. I mean, 18, 19 semifinals, 21, 22 semifinals. What does it mean to, to be here? Everything. Um, you know, obviously being in the championship, um, you know, way back a few years ago, coming up short the last couple times, um, to be able to play, you know, my last game ever, um, being in the most meaningful game that you can possibly play, playing for a championship, uh, there's no, no better way to go out and hopefully be able to finally bring that piece of hardware back. And give us a quick scouting report, Gotham FC, kind of what, what do you expect in the final? Oh, man, they're just so good, so experienced. They obviously have championship-level experience all over the field. Um, they're so tough, obviously really difficult in the press, can score goals. Um, they have really dynamic players. So I'm not going to give away the scouting report, but it's going to be tough. Thanks so much. Good luck on Saturday. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. There's Megan Rapino, who will have a chance to win her first ever NWSL championship on Saturday. It would be the same case for Allie Krieger. So whoever does win the game on Saturday will absolutely go out on top. But Kay, it's one of just a few storylines uh, ahead of this final for OL Reign, man. They've been knocking on the door of this championship event. 2018, 2019, out in the semifinals. 21, out in the semifinals. 2022, they win the Shield and go out in the semifinals. So for OL Reign, they're really, really looking forward to hopefully getting over that hump and bringing that trophy back to the Pacific Northwest. All right, Sebi, unlike Megan Rapino, you can give us a little bit more information. It doesn't have to be a scouting report. We want a prediction from you. Mm -hmm. Ooh. 
It's a tough one. Uh, it's really a tough one. OL Reign have probably impressed me the, less, the least in terms of how they've played throughout this postseason run. It's been really gritty. Right? A couple of one nothing wins. You might even say the, uh, the victory over San Diego was, was lucky, right? The only goal comes off a, a cross that turns into a shot. But I think that's actually the formula to win in the postseason. So uh, I think Gotham has, has put together an incredible run. They've been riding this, you know, let's send Ali Krieger off with a just farewell uh, through the first couple rounds of the playoffs. But I think they run out of steam here. And I think O.L. Reign, based on just how close that they've been over the last few years uh, and how well they've played throughout the regular season, especially towards the end, I think I'm just going to give them just that slightest edge. But it'll be a, a very close game, and I don't think we'll see too many goals. I'm seeing, you know, one nothing, 2 nothing max. This is not going to be a shootout on Saturday. We actually can't believe what our eyes are seeing, Sebi, because we've seen some of your pre-Football Americas preparation, and you're flossing here. Uh -huh. I thought flossing had gone out in, like, 2016, but, I mean, here you go. Can you explain yourself? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Where did this video come from? Where did this... Who's shooting Seb we flossing? We got, we got two, three cameras <laughs> here. Everybody's rolling, working. You we should, should be know that. cutting down interviews. And you got a camera on Seb, the Seb Isocam. <laughs> this is uh, this is ridiculous. You, as you know, as you know, I cover many things here at ESPN. I cover the Little League World Series, so that's where my flossing skills come from. Uh, many many years ago, when when flossing was big, I, I got it I got it sorted out at the Little League World Series. Still one of my favorite dances to do. Thank you for putting it on television. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that. I think you need to keep practicing, Sebby. That's yeah, all I've got to say. Needs a little bit of work. Yeah, I don't think it's going to make Shaka's power oh, rankings any Steady, Stevie. No, no, no. You know, you know. Let's see, Stevie. Uh, Right. That's what you want to see. Well, Sebi, we look forward to the next Football Americas. Make sure to enjoy that game on Saturday, and we'll speak to you again soon, my friend. Make sure to always catch Sebi and her twice a week on Football Americas here on ESPN+. All right, that will do it for the latest edition of ESPN FC, but stick around. Stuart Robson stayed late to answer your questions on Extra Time. These two as well. Coming up now. Welcome into the latest edition of Extra Time. You've been, you've been really excited about these questions, oh, Kate. Oh. <laughs> been very excited about the questions like, I'm not sure today. any questions. I'm not sure any questions today. Oh, like, oh, you're going to have to wait. Robbo's here. But um, before we get to the questions, <laughs> as we said, the camera is always rolling. Uh, don't worry, it's not you singing Careless Whispering for the show tonight, because that also oh, happened. Oh, I say singing lightly, like yeah. would have been great. Hey! <laughs> that's the angriest rake I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, oh, goodness me. Thanks, Ellen. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I've never seen somebody so angry just bashing leaves. Ah, you're off the hook with the Trinidad and Tobago advert. <laughs> <laughs> this is up there. <laughs> like, so Stevie made it very clear yesterday that he hates anything to do with the garden. But Robbo, you're the opposite. Oh, I do like a bit of gardening, and I've got to say, I'm not sure what Stevie was doing. When you get a rake, you have it, and you try and drag the leaves. He was patting them. That's what he was doing. Well, they're not going anywhere. Well, the What's he trying he's to getting, do? He's getting more aggressive with each one. They were wet. Uh, they got aggressive. They got aggressive. It's a pathetic effort. <laughs> and I got nothing. 
I only got an opportunity to battle them. Uh, uh, why are you so angry about it, though? Because I hate it. <laughs> I hate gardening. <laughs> so why do you do it? <laughs> because Elmer wants me to do it. I think uh, he a little twisted way, pleasure out years, of it. For 40 years, I've been doing stuff in the garden. <laughs> And I've hated every single, every single one of them for 40 years. <laughs> you know, sometimes you really can pay to make your life easier. Yeah. But you say that they don't do the job well enough. No, they don't. And it's expensive. <laughs> I'm going to cost about a grand, that. Oh, God. It's for that? Where were you pushing them? Where were you taking the leaves, Stevie? Where were you taking them? You just looked as though you were patting them. They were going in your boot more than <laughs> no, anywhere else. No, no, no. What I was doing was I was spreading them out. There's a bit of, there's a bit of ground down the oh, front. Oh, that's of a the good house. idea. Spread them out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what? See that wall? See that wall you saw? Yeah. We're taking it. So the other side of the wall is the drive and a couple of bits of grass that go up the side, up the hill. Yeah. <laughs> so we're taking all the leaves off of that putting them in over the wall and then I was spreading them so that over the winter they'll flatten out and then Bob's your uncle. Oh. <laughs> and kill your grass. That's what I was doing. Yeah. No, it's not grass. Well, he's a gardener, he knows. Oh. <laughs> no. All right. Pathetic. Anyway, Eleanor, yeah, yeah. thank you so much for your contribution. Yeah, you, Wonderful yeah, stuff. So okay, first question. You'd think ESPN Corporate would be pushing for this. Can you imagine the ratings of a behind-the-scenes documentary? Stevie Nicol, as Manchester United manager, could take Haggis along to be Manchester United's oh. version of Win, <laughs> Craig to get into punch-ups, and Shaka to show up once a month. <laughs> <laughs> Easily worth $100 a month pay-per-view. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm here more than once a month. <laughs> You could go and do your scouting in the Caribbean, couldn't well, you, Well, a lot of talent for me to go scout. Yeah, you could be head chief scout. Uh, that, that's me. Uh, Car I, you uh, could be Caribbean scout. I'll be that too. We could set you up. I like your Somewhere in the what, Caribbean. What are the odds 500 to 1? Are we suggesting that Shaka gets easy money for doing nothing? Is that what we're suggesting here? No, no, but I'm, I'm scout. <laughs> why can't you have a better life? Why associate scout with that? How could you scout? possibly say that? I'm a talent scout, Stuart. Everybody knows uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it, someone's got to pay for the Maserati. Of course, yeah, the Maserati. Absolutely. He's changed the colour a bit now. Look how happy he is. I think it's a blue one now. You ready now? Imagine if I took the Man United job. That'd be so good. It'd be Tossie Coin who attacked me first. Man United fans are Liverpool fans. Oh, we'd definitely be getting Robbo's view every week on ESPN FC that, as well. That's what you call oh, a yeah. no-win situation. I'd love to give Stevie a bit of stick. <laughs> <laughs> remember that, remember that Champions League final when he, when he started to, to have a go at me? Oh, no. Hold on he was, a second. He was very rude. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We all you remember ever, that. Have you ever wanted to see a grumpy old man at work? Go and watch Rob. <laughs> I'm going to go at me because he was having a bad day. Right. <laughs> and it was nothing to do with the result. We shouldn't, we shouldn't get former players to talk about the teams. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, think I said you might, have a, a, you might have been a bit biased in your views, Steve. I think that's what I said, which I think no, is true. No, you did. Well, oh, I, yeah. well, I guess that's similar to what I said. That's exactly what you said. I was being... Bias. Okay. Um, so was him. <laughs> moving on to the same topic, but another question. How would Shaka fare as a goalkeeping coach? 
I'd enjoy that actually. It's one aspect, I don't, I know, I've never really seen myself as a coach. Uh, but it's the one aspect of coaching that I enjoy, working with goalkeepers. I'd like that. You like it? Yeah. There you go, Stevie. Chief scout and a goalkeeping coach. And throwing coach. And throwing coach. Yeah. <laughs> I want three hey, salaries. Well, it's a long way from home games from the Caribbean, though, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you're right. You're There's right. a problem with Shaka being the goalkeeping coach. They now have to play with their feet. I don't think Shaka realised that. Yeah, He's, yeah. He no. was hopeless with his feet or the ball, you know. You know, playing out from the back. I used to play. I used to play out in college. You know, I used to play out in the park. Rubble. No. Yeah, I'm telling you, I've got goals <laughs> to my name. I've got goals <laughs> to my name. Then check we saw that commercial. That's right. <laughs> Little Modric pass outside of the right foot. Let me tell you something. I'll be all right. <laughs> He'd be fine. Okay. Contract release clauses aside, should Manchester United make a move for Xabi Alonso? Why not? Robbo. Why Listen, not? I don't think you'll count Hobbert. He's the up-and-coming manager. He's proved himself over the last few few uh, months. Uh, he's obviously a top-class manager. He's turned by Leverkusen into an average side, into well, a poor side, into a very good one. Um, you want to get the best. And if he's one of the best, Manchester United might try and get him, but I don't think it'll happen. Did, did one of the journals not the other day say that he had clauses, he had something in his contract where if... Bayern, Real Madrid, or Liverpool came in. That's why. That's why it said contract release clauses right. aside. But yeah, Aye. obviously Real Madrid. Which kind of tells you? Brain. I don't think he would go to Man United. He's not going. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, a, it's a nice question, though. Uh, yeah, um, more chance again, Pep Guardiola than Javi Alonso. Or as much chance. Let's put it that way. The next question is definitely for Stevie. How much would a healthy Lissandro Martinez have changed United's start to the season? No one has changed. Give it some thought. I'll tell you what, if, I, if Rafael Varane and Harry, Harry Maguire, <laughs> who are both 6 foot 25, can't win a challenge in the air, how's Martinez going to do it when he's, what, 5'9"? <laughs> right? When your heart is full of love, you're 10 feet tall. <laughs> I, 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 I just go by five. Hello. What? Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Oh, good Lord. Uh, Fabio Cannavaro won a Ballon d'Or. He wasn't like six foot two or anything, was he? Yeah, but he got himself in a position where he didn't have to meet <laughs> challenges. All right. Oh, you didn't like uh, that you answer, did you? You can't, no, you can't you didn't like put that those answer. in the same bracket. Martinez and Cannavaro. Two no, totally I'm, I'm not doing players. that, but I'm, try, I'm trying to say that maybe Stevie's argument that ha about height well, is not the best argument. All right, let me do it another way then. Okay. If Cannavaro was in there, even though he's five foot seven or eight, Right? The fact is, they wouldn't be defending, standing on the six-yard box. They'd be in the edge of the box. That's the difference Cannavaro would make, and that's why he didn't have to win all these challenges, because he organised everybody around them and wouldn't let them stand on top of the six-yard box. Because when you all stand on top of the six-yard box, it negates the goalkeeper as well and makes it harder for you to defend. Cannavaro would never let that happen. I'm, I don't believe Martinez would have had them up at the edge of the box. Anything else? No. Nope. I'm not going to argue with you, Stevie Nicol. All right. Prime defender. All right. First Luton, now to lose. What is Klopp's dressing room talk like after this pure anger or reminding them that they can't take teams for granted and still be positive and, or still positive and encouraging? What would Stevie's talk be like? So what's Klopp saying I, after I, this? I, I don't think this is a big deal, losing this game. You know, 
if, if this is a must-win game, it's a different ball game. But this is this is him putting out uh, an understrength team to try and get the job done, knowing that it's going to affect. You know, Rob was talking about earlier on the show about the fluidity of the team, because when you're playing together once every blue moon, obviously that's affected. And you're away from home as well against a big the big noisy crowd. The home side are up for it. I mean, so yeah, this is this is nothing to be to be worried about as far as the team talk. As I said, Luton was more about I, I felt they should have been more professional, but this one is. I think you just kind of you let this one slide a little. We've had a few Liverpool questions, and so I'll actually put the next one to you, Robbo. Uh, was Liverpool's midfield last season scapegoated for the poor quality of the back four? The entire midfield was changed, and the defence was not touched. Um, well, I, you know, when I look at Klopp's sides, most of the emphasis of Jurgen Klopp is not so much on the back four. Yeah, he, he, he might do a little bit of work with him. But his main objective is to get people closing the ball down to stop it getting into those areas. So, no, I don't think they were the scapegoat. They, they were rightly criticised because they didn't close the ball down as well as they had done in previous seasons because they were getting that little bit older. Maybe they got a bit complacent and they couldn't get around the pitches they once did. Jurgen Klopp's tactics defensively are all about pressing the ball and getting tight to people and make it difficult for them to not give them time to play balls in behind <laughs> And that's what I thought about his tactics. <laughs> Alessandro Martinez just tackled you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, w I would say that, um, no, they weren't the scapegoat. They were quite rightly criticised. But I think Jurgen Klopp needs to do a lot more with the back four than, than just keep working at the pressing and the pressing and the pressing. And I had a chat with their, their video uh, an uh, analysts, and that's exactly what he was talking about. We, we just concentrate on pressing the ball and making sure we close people down so the back four aren't really uh, uh, sort of exposed. Stevie? There's one thing that the back four doesn't do that it did when they were winning Champions League and Premier League, and that is everything they do when they were at the best was together. It's not like that anymore. You've got a straggler, you've got one behind the three, or you've got two up and two back, or they're too high, or they're too deep. There's no... The connection has been lost. But do you, think, Stevie, do you think, Stevie, that Klopp is working on that? Do you think he's like like the George Graham, and, and Shaka mentioned it in the programme, George Graham had the back four out every day at the yeah. end of training to work on that, that, that system. This is what we're going to do. When the ball's here, we do this. When the ball goes back, we squeeze up. Do you think Jurgen Klopp is doing that? From what I see of, of Liverpool's back four, I don't think he does. That would be my... My answer would be there's nothing... There's nothing to suggest that they are. That would be my answer to that. Because I don't... Nothing's changed in the last 18 months as far as the back four is concerned with all the things I've been talking about there. So, I don't know. Without, without knowing what he does, there certainly isn't any evidence to suggest they've spent a lot of time on it, put it that way. Had Liverpool brought a healthy Lissandro Martinez into the defence, might that have changed Oh things? yes, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, next question for all. Chelsea have won seven of nine in all competitions, including outplaying Arsenal for a majority of their game. How much of a boost will Nkunku give them when he returns, and can they sustain this run, Shaka? Um, uh, they've won seven of nine? Oh, are you Chelsea? sure? That can't be right. In all competitions? You know, I, I, I'm just reading. That doesn't sound right. Yeah, it, 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 just, it, don't, it don't feel right. It doesn't just sound right. Just that, listen, I, I, I think, I, I said this, 
after Chelsea's last game, who, wait, who they, they beat, what, nine-man Spurs? Yeah. I, I think Chelsea, you are starting to see the effects of Pochettino's coaching on Chelsea. But their problem is the same problem that we've been talking about since day one. As good as, as much improvement as they've made with, with their football, they still don't look like they're going to score. And, and, and that, for me, will, will be the, is the big concern. Now, preseason, I said Nkunku was huge in that I recognize the rawness of Nicholas Jackson, and I thought Nkunku, with his guile and, and his experience sitting behind him, would be the perfect, perfect partner for, for, for Jackson. We haven't seen that. Um, but to, to the question, I think Nkunku coming back is without question a, a huge boost to, to, to Chelsea. Um, but that being said, I, I even despite those numbers, Chelsea just it just hasn't yeah, felt not. like Chelsea been it's, that good. I think it's six of eight. But anyway, the difference with Nkunku coming back still. We don't know. We don't know. I mean, well, it was interesting what you said on last night's show, though, when you were talking about Manchester United, saying that at least with Chelsea, you can see where the problem is. Right. But it seems like Nkunku's going to be under a lot of pressure. I mean, it seems crazy. Jackson scored a hat-trick last week, but it almost doesn't feel as though he did because it was nine men. Right. It, it just doesn't feel. And so, and the pressure on Nkunku, I mean, what's the chances of Nkunku being this incredible goal-scoring machine? I mean, he's not even really a centre-forward as such. Mm. But he, he had the goal so, to go with it. In his, well, he didn't. He did, he did. He did in Germany. He had goals yeah. to go with in Germany. But guess what? There was a couple of other Germans recently who played for Chelsea who couldn't hit, the, hit a barn door from two yards. I, 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 one, I, of them, one of them's back in Germany. So you can't and guarantee that you're going to translate that far. So, so we don't we don't know what Nicholas, um, sorry, Nkunku's going to be like. I, I think just Nkunku sitting in behind uh, Nicholas Jackson is. I I I, I just. I, I, I just feel Sydney felt pre-season coming in that Nkunku would, would have been huge for Chelsea. As, as I say, we, we, we haven't seen that. Um, and, and maybe that's the piece that's missing. That doesn't, it doesn't go to say that. I, I still don't think, and, and again, even though I, I'm not going to challenge your numbers, but let's, who are those wins against? I, I think is also a, a big factor in, 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 in all of this. The difference that Nkunku will make, Stuart? I'm not sure because we don't know. He hasn't played any games in the Premier League so far. Um, when when we saw him in pre-season, Jackson and Nkunku didn't play together in any of the pre-season games. I don't think the, the two or three that we covered. Uh, it was either Jackson started the first half, he came off, and Nkunku came on in the second half, and, and the other way around. And as Stevie said. Isn't Kunku an out-and-out centre-forward? I'm not sure he is. I think he's much better playing off somebody else or coming from a slightly wider position. Do Chelsea play that way? I'm not quite sure about that either. So we'll have to wait and see how he integrates into the team and how Pochettino sees him as a player. Uh, we'll have to wait a little while for that. Uh, last question, Shaka from your debt collector. Did Shaka ever do research on upcoming opposing players' penalty preference? Um, no, not an awful lot. And, and that was covers a shock. No, but uh, the, the look other the power, thing. Look at the power rankings. <laughs> just go, just go and have a look. Shaka's debt collector. Go and have a look at the power rankings. That's that'll give you all you need to know. The, 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 the thing, the thing uh -huh. though is, um, we, we didn't have access to that kind of information. I mean, those, those things are readily available now. 
give them cable television, give them the internet, but th those things weren't around when, when, when I was playing. So you're kind of having to rely on match the day and, and just see, that, that's the only place you had access to those. And, and then the other thing too, and, and, and this is something I always talk about, with, especially with penalty shootouts. Teams have two penalty takers, three at best, um, which, which leaves you with two, two or three, which leaves you with two or three <laughs> who haven't taken penalties probably, you know, for, for, for 10 years. I, it's, I, 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 I think duty. that's always, <laughs> that's always, that's always a, a, a slippery slope when you think you can uh, do comprehensive research. So you never had a bottle with all the, all the names and stuff on it? I had a bottle with names on it, yeah. Johnny <laughs> 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 Instead of driving around in that Maserati here, there and everywhere in, on the afternoons, he should have been doing all his homework yeah. on these penalty takers. <laughs> Ringing his fellow uh, keepers, you know, yeah. seeing if they've come up against them. Lazy, lazy. Dereliction of duty. All right, thanks so much for sending in your questions on the latest edition of Extra Time. We'll be back tomorrow. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is to not search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.